Hi, we are Inspired Churches and we are honored for you to tune in. We are a church that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and walking in rhythms of life for the good of the city and for the glory of God. As we walk into a new year, we invite you to be part of the ministry by donating a gift today. Go ahead and visit us at inspirechurches.com. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? How are you doing? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever gotten an invitation? And uh, when you got it, you were like, uh, I don't know if I really want to go. <laughs> Anybody been like that? And then later on, you find out that it was, an ama- that it was amazing and you wish you would have. Anybody had that? How many know that like, invitations are not like created equal, right? Or, or, may- or, or maybe some of you had gotten an invitation and you kind of felt obligated to go, so you showed up. Anybody else did that, right? Got an invitation to go and, and then you felt obligated. And that, I mean, that happened to me. I, I mean, I was at university, got an invitation to go hang out with some friends. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I kind of felt obligated. And, and then next thing you know, um, I've been married now. And so uh, you never know what happens with invitations. Invitations are not created equal. Some invitations get you excited, some not so much, right? Like, uh, you know, maybe when somebody comes in and they're like, uh, hey, Roger, we'd love to, you know, invite you over for a barbecue. I'm all, yes, I feel the spirit on that. That is God sent, right? Invitation where they say, hey, why don't you come to the gym? I'm like, get behind me, Satan. I do not know you. <laughs> invitations. Power of invitations. We're going to get to that in a minute, but we are in this series called The Table. And we're going through the book of Luke and we're observing uh, all of the table scenes or meal scenes, right? All the places where Jesus is meeting with people and, and having a meal. And, and, and what we do, what we're doing in this series is we uh, are wanting to use this so that way the spirit uh, can open our hearts so that way we can be called back to Jesus's table, but to inspire us to open our own tables. What does it look like to be a people of hospitality? So to be invited to Jesus's table, which is why we're doing communion every Sunday throughout this series, but also to inspire us to open our own tables, open our own homes, open our own hearts to be hospitable towards others. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. Heavenly Father, I pray that you, Lord God, will be the one, Lord Jesus, to move on our hearts, to illuminate the text, that we may respond in Jesus' name, amen, amen. and amen. Uh, in Luke, we're going to read Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, and Phil and I were just talking about this two seconds ago uh, back here, uh, on we're going to read a passage that I think for many people, if Sunday school was your faith tradition, was part of your tradition of going to church, you're going to be familiar with this passage. But with that being said, uh, I don't know how many uh, times that this passage has been taught on or read as adult, as an adult. And so some of you, this might be triggering you back to uh, the to the Sunday school days where they had like the felt, you know, board characters and you were like, you know, coloring in and they had the little puppets or whatever, whatever they did. You know what I mean? And you might start singing that famous song that goes with this passage. Uh, but we're going to read this. So Luke 19 verses 1 through 10 reads like this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Everybody say passing through. Passing through. Okay, he's just coming through, all right? And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. It's important that they point that out. 
He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Anybody remember this as a child? When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down uh, and at once he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. We need to bring that word back, I think, mutter. We begin, and begin to mutter. He has done, sorry, that was, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And, I, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, which he did, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. The son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Notice verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. Notice that, chief tax collector, and was wealthy. The reason why uh, he was so wealthy is because he was the chief tax collector. And so what happened was, was he contacted Rome by either going there or he contacted some sort of official of Rome, some sort of officer, maybe a governor of Rome, and he purchased the right to collect taxes. Uh, And then as the chief tax collector, he set up a pyramid scheme and he hired other people to sort of come in and they would go and they would gather taxes. And, And these were called tax farmers. And so they would set up different stations uh, throughout, you know, a land or throughout a region. And so it might be at a crossroads or a riverbank or maybe a port, right? This is, if you remember, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, the first time we see Captain Jack Sparrow is he's bringing in his sinking ship and it happens to land right there in front of the port and he walks off and, the, and there's a gentleman there ready to collect his taxes, right? And they would collect a, a, a variety of taxes. And these taxes all sort of funneled up to Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus became very wealthy because Rome, as long as Rome was getting their dues, they didn't care how much more in addition was added, what kind of surcharge Zacchaeus would add. And so therefore, Zacchaeus was not just the chief tax collector, and he wasn't just wealthy, but he was wealthy and hated. He was wealthy and disliked by everybody except for other tax collectors and except for Rome. Everybody else hated him. Zacchaeus was hated. But there's some things in this story that I want to highlight this morning that I think will help us as we uh, kind of dive in the text and see what it is the Holy Spirit would say to us this morning. There's really four things, the tree, the crowd, the invitation, and the table. The tree, the crowd, the invitation, and the table. So number one, the tree, the tree. The first and biggest barrier, I think, uh, potentially between us and Christ is our pride. See, when Zacchaeus got up in a tree, he left his dignity behind. 
This is a wealthy man, it says, and there's all sorts of things you did or did not do that was fitting uh, with dignified social status. And all of the commentators on this book says in that culture, climbing up a tree, when he did that, he paid an enormous price because that is something that you could count on a child to do, but you couldn't necessarily count on an adult to do. And so he paid the price of ridicule. He lost his dignity to others so that he might see Jesus to climb a tree. Anybody here are tree climbers? You know, I haven't done it in a long time. Praise the Lord. I feel bad for the tree. Praise Jesus. And that's the way it was then and that's the way it is today is that in some ways we have to lose our dignity and it takes forms in every, different forms in every culture, different forms in every century. But you cannot have uh, Jesus, the salvation flowing through your life, unless you're willing to get up a, tr- up a tree and look silly to yourself and to many others. You have to swallow your pride. You have to be willing not to stand in your dignity. And in this case, to look like a child. Now, how does that work in our culture? Well, it's very interesting because uh, I don't know if any of you have seen the Narnia movies or if you've read any of the Narnia books, but uh, as you read through them, um, there are seven of them, and there are these four children, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. And at the end of the seven books, Susan does not get into heaven with the rest. Susan isn't a friend of Narnia anymore. And the reason is, is because she laughs and says, oh, you kids, you, you still play those stories in your head that we played when we were children. Wow. Mm-hmm. See, C.S. Lewis believes that Susan made the mistake that he made for many, many years and that we make in our society today. And that is that we believe that we have to grow up and that in order to grow up, what that means is, is that we can't believe in the supernatural anymore. That we have to stop being a child. And in order to do that, to stop being a child, that means you cannot believe in the supernatural. In our society, at some point, we say, it's time to put away childish thinking. If you want to be a Christian, if you want to believe that the Lord of the universe came from some other uh, reality and bursted into our world, was born in a manger, defeated the powers of evil and death, rose triumphant over the grave, if you believe that then our society says that intellectually you are beyond the pale. That you're not considered enlightened. That you're not considered a mature adult. Oh, that's cute. That's cute. You're considered primitive. You've climbed a tree. You look silly. You look undignified. Now, what do we say to that? Well, I think there's a few things we can say to it. I think one thing is this is that our culture says, listen, you can't still believe in Christianity as an adult. As a child, yes, but not as an adult. Well, first, Jesus himself said that in order to walk into the kingdom of God, in order to inherit God's kingdom, he says, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter. That's what he says. One day he grabbed a child and and he used the child as an illustration. He says, unless you are like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
In other words, you have to get rid of your dignity. You have to be willing to look childish. You have to climb a tree. The other thing we can say to our culture is that though they want to deny it, they cannot seem to escape the reality of this story's truth. Whether it's the fact that they want to deny absolute morality by saying there is absolutely no such thing as absolute morality, or if they want to say there is no real ultimate meaning in life, but when you ask them if they mean that, they say yes. See, they cannot escape uh, this, this reality without sneaking in the biblical framework. And now all of a sudden, they use words like ought. People ought to act a certain way. People should be kind. People ought to love one another. People ought to be accepting. The minute they start using those, that language, they are now bringing in a biblical framework into the very society in which they want to deny that reality. They can't escape it. Or what about the repressed feeling that no matter what they accomplish in life, no matter what they produce, collect, learn, travel to, relationships they have, there was always something inner longing for something else. As though something is missing. As though something is not right. That's why we cry at funerals. That's why we hate injustice. Because something doesn't feel right, you see. And Zacchaeus had to see Jesus. It's interesting because some say that, well, Zacchaeus was doing this because he was curious. But mere curiosity would not have driven him to do something that would have been so embarrassing. I mean, that he would have uh, taken his status even with those that liked him, such as the Romans, and he would have taken himself and, and been so socially alienating. I want to contend that the reason he goes to the efforts that he goes to is, he's be, is because he's filled with personal longing. He wants to be known as he is and not shunned, but loved. And what's crazy is even though our culture is a very individualistic culture, we, we pride ourselves, right, on independence. But at the end of the day, all of us seek approval and validation from someone greater than ourselves. C.S. Lewis says this, as an adolescent, I would have been ashamed to have been, founding, to be, been found reading fairy, fairy tales. Now that I am 50, I read them in public. For when I became a man, I put away childish things, especially the fear of childlessness, of child, childlessness. Thank you, childishness. In other words, there's nothing more childish than to say I don't want to look like a child. That spiritually is a mistake. Let's summarize. When when, when you're a child, your heart is filled with wonder and you're ready for these fairy tales. But when you grow up, you need something beyond fairy tales. But but, but what is there? What is there? And what society says is there's nothing. But what Jesus says is, no, there's the gospel. See, see, do you know what the gospel says? The gospel says that there is a supernatural reality, that there's a supernatural world, that there's an evil prince, an evil sorcerer, and and we're all under this enchantment. A hero from another world has broken into this world and redeemed us with his sacrificial love. 
This sacrificial love redeems us from the curse of the evil one. Just like all the stories say. Right? It, it sounds like a lot of the stories that we know. Harry Potter's mother's sacrificial love made it possible for him to be redeemed from Voldemort. Aslan's sacrificial love of Edmund is the deeper magic before the dawn of time that the white witch doesn't know about. You say, oh, that's nice. That's nice. So, so the gospel story of Jesus is just another wonderful story pointing to some kind of reality. No, Jesus is not one more story pointing to an underlining reality. Jesus is the underlining reality to which all the stories point, you see. A few Sundays ago, I brought up that movie Hook, and I'm going to bring it up again, which is about Peter Pan and the Lost Boys, and they all grow up, and they come back to this world. And, and there's one part where one of the Lost Boys, Tootles, looks at the police officer, and he says, I have forgotten how to fly. And the police officer responds back, thinking this guy's crazy. He says, well, one does. But see, the gospel says one doesn't have to. You can keep that childlike wonder the rest of your life if you believe the gospel. Are you willing to climb the tree? But see, the reason he had to get up in the tree in the first place was because there was a crowd. Number two, the crowd. See, what I like about this account is that the main thing that seems to be keeping Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus is what? The crowd. Number, verse 3 says he wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. See that? And in verse 7, it lets us know what kind of crowd it was. It was a self-righteous, moralistic crowd. It looks down on Zacchaeus and calls him a sinner, Right? See, I think one of the things that really causes society, maybe causes us, maybe has caused you from embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ and believing Christianity is, yes, our pride. We don't want to look like a child. We don't, we don't want to climb the tree. But also, one of the biggest problems with Christianity are Christians. <laughs> Self-righteous Overly religious, legalistic Christians. And for many of us, we just can't get past the crowd. I think it was Gandhi that said, I like your Jesus, but I don't like your Christians because your Christians look nothing like your Jesus. There are many people in churches like this. That there's so much evidence in the history of the church that there are many people that profess to be Christians. And yet, their life reflects nothing of the sort. And other people can't get past the crowd because all they see are, are people who are Christians nominally, people who are quick-tempered and unkind and unforgiving and greedy and non-restorative and non-redemptive and so on and so forth. And many people that I've met says, I don't believe uh, in Christianity. And they kind of will say something like this, you know, well, if Christianity was true, then it couldn't produce people like this. But because it produces people like this, then Christianity can't be true. But see, you have to learn to do what Zacchaeus did. How did he get over this barrier? He found a way to look at Jesus apart from the crowd. Apart from the crowd. 
You have to do what Zacchaeus did, which is say, I'm going to find out who Jesus really is. And I'm not going to be affected by all the inconsistencies and hypocrisies of the people who say are his followers. I'm going to see who Jesus really is. And we have to do that. Well, how do we do that? Well, we dive into the text. We go right up to the passages and see what is he really like. And if you do, you know what you're going to find? You are going to find every time on almost every page of the text that Jesus Christ is just as turned off at legalistic religiosity as you are. He's every bit as down and hard on the self-righteous and moralistic crowd as you are. Every bit in almost every page. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Jesus is down on the self-righteous and the moralistic, the proud. Every page. Every page. But that can't keep you from him. Because see, here's the crazy thing. Here's the other side of the coin. Here's the rub. The rub is this. (laughs) Don't you realize that for you to be mad at self-righteous people takes a certain amount of self-righteousness. See, for you to be mad at the hypocrites, for you to be mad at people who are inconsistent, to some degree, is hypocritical and inconsistent of you. Because see, the only person that was ever pure, the only person that that never made a mistake, the only person that was sinless was Jesus. Newsflash. Right? None of us. None of us are there. The old saying goes, you know, if you find a perfect church, don't join it, because then you'll just make it imperfect. We have to get over the crowd. We have to find a way to see Jesus directly. And part of that is to realize is that, listen, this doesn't justify hypocrisy. This doesn't justify inconsistency. But what it does do is it says, listen, that is not who Jesus is. And we are broken people in a process, and we need to focus on Christ. That's right. That's good. We focus on Christ. The one who comes and says, I want to come into your life. Because Christ has an invitation. Number three, the invitation. Oh, my time never started, but if you could let me know how much I have. According to this, I have 50 minutes. Praise God. We're going we're gonna to be here. We're, I'm adding six more points to this message. I'm just kidding. Can we give it up for our, uh, for our team back there? They do such a great job. They really do. Man, it is, that, is, that is not easy. Okay. The invitation. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and at once he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. So picture this, everybody comes out to see Jesus, right? Because they hear that Jesus is passing through. Right, so, so, so all of a sudden, people are coming out, almost think of like a parade of some sorts, or when, when the president comes in town, whatever it is, right? But, but, but people come out, and so they're lined up, and they're waiting for Jesus to come down the road so that they might just see him, 
because he's just, he, he's just passing through. So, so they just want to see him, right? So, they, so the, the word's gone out. They've gotten up early. They, 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 they've gotten their spots the whole bit. And, and just picture that Jesus stops, and, and, and it doesn't say this, but I can just imagine that, that as, he's, as he's walking through, all of a sudden he stops and he looks, and there's this grown adult in a tree, right? And, and, and I'm sure there's a hush that falls over the crowd, right? And, and Jesus is going, and he's going to speak to Zacchaeus. He turns and looks right at Zacchaeus, and I'm sure the crowd thought, oh, finally, finally, somebody's going to call this guy out. Somebody's gonna, somebody has the nerve. Somebody is not intimidated. He has the, they have the courage to face this guy. He is going to get what he deserves, and we cannot wait. And what Jesus does was so offensive, so audacious, so shady, so tea spilling, so mouth dropping, so air gasping, so pearl clutching, oh no, he didn't type of moment. He gave him an invitation. Can you picture it? Everybody there says, wait a minute, minute. We, we showed up early. We got a curbside seat. We, we made signs. We love Jesus. How about you? We love Jesus, right? We, we, we got, we're here. We got the shirts. We're here, Jesus. Here you are. And you're going to go and talk to this guy? What? Oh, 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 oh. This, this outcast, this traitor, this is, this is who you're going to go and you're going to go and eat with him? We didn't even get to meet you and you're going to go eat with this guy? Do you see that? So unsettling, so backwards, so upside down, so scandalous. So scandalous. See, we love grace, don't we? Oh, we love grace. And we want grace as long as it's within our terms. As long as it happens under, under uh, our willingness and, and, and what we're comfortable with. But, but the minute that grace breaks those boundaries, all of a sudden we're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. See, you want Jesus to give you grace, right? right. But your ex, wait a minute now, Lord. <laughs> wait a minute, I want you to be loving, but not that loving, Jesus. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Right? I mean, we're quick, right? Isn't that how it is? We're quick. Same thing with forgiveness. We want people to forgive us real quick. But when somebody offends you, you want to hold on to it for a minute. You say, well, let me think about it. <laughs> We're quick. See, God's grace is actually scandalous. It's offensive. Oh, oh, it's not offensive when it's towards you. But when it's towards people that you think are undeserving of it. Remember the documentary of Jeffrey Dahmer? The notorious serial killer who murdered and dissembled 17 men and boys. His crimes are part of the most horrifying things that you can imagine. They really do defy comprehension, right? Dahmer was captured in 1991 and in prison. He died in 1994 when a fellow inmate beat him to death. But it's documented that before he died, while he was in prison... He repented of his sin and put his faith in Christ. Now just think about, just think about his victims. Just think about his victims' families. Just think about this for a minute. Could it be possible that Jeffrey Dahmer, 
one of the most evil men to ever live, was granted eternal life. Wow. Wow. Could it be possible? Could it be possible that the sweet old lady or the sweet old man who, 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 who always tells the truth, right? The, the one who's kind but denies God exi- God's existence, wants nothing to do with God, but is generous and kind, would face judgment? See, if that scenario bothers you because you think that awful criminals deserve eternal judgment, but kind people deserve eternal life, then you have not fully grasped just how scandalous and radical the gospel of grace really is. How many of us are uncomfortable right now? It means that deep down inside, you still think that the good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. And that's not what the gospel says. The gospel shatters that whole way of thinking. Scripturally speaking, there are no good people. That's the point. None of us are good. We've all fallen short. When are we going to understand that? Because when we do, you know what it does? Not only does it help us to worship God authentically because we are in gratitude, but it helps us to love God others deeply that's That's what it does it helps you to love your neighbor that's what it does you see the radical message of the gospel is that our problem our sin is worse than anything we could ever imagine and yet grace is so better is so much better than what any of us have ever deserved. I want you to notice the order of how this grace played out in this story. Do do you see the order here? Let me ask you, does Zacchaeus say, listen, I'm going to stop cheating people. I'm going to stop taking people's money. I'm going to stop living this life. And and, and then Jesus says, okay, once you stop, I'll come over. Do do, do you know, is that how it goes? Are you sure? Because that's how we act like it goes. That's how we act like it goes. That's not what he says here at all. Right? Jesus doesn't say, well, if you clean your life up and and stop doing these things, then I want to come and I'll be with you and I'll eat with you and I'll come to your house. He doesn't say that. Jesus isn't the Wizard of Oz, right? He doesn't say, bring me the broom of the Wicked Witch of the West and then I'll give you an audience. He doesn't do that. Instead, in spite of our flaws and in spite of our record and in spite of our collaboration, in spite of all of these things, we have, a, we have an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he wants to come and be in our house. And notice Zacchaeus' response. It says he responded with joy. Oh my goodness. This is why some of you look like you were baptized in lemon juice because you don't understand the grace of Jesus Christ. You see what I'm saying? You understand? Arms folded, all angry and upset. Can't wait for the looking at me over. Just here to, you know what I'm saying? My goodness. We have to be up here cheerleading and everything else and encourage you and say, can you just praise the Lord a little bit? Can you just give me a hand clap? Can you just say amen every once in a while? Can you just, right? Unless we got fog machines and fireworks and everything else going, then, I mean, you know, and it's because you don't understand this. 
You know what's interesting is this, as we soon quickly discover that this isn't just a scandalous invitation, but that it is an initiated invitation. In fact, it's the initiated invitation. See, this is the first time in the series that we read that someone else didn't invite Jesus over, but Jesus invited himself over. <gasps> right? He said, I'm coming to your house. You know? I'm going to start taking after Jesus. Okay, I'm coming over. Have something ready. Praise Jesus. <laughs> Jesus invited himself over. And so it begins to make you question, wait a minute. Who's looking for who in this story? Right. Wow. Who's looking for who? Good question. So good. <laughs> Pastor Alistair Begg said this when looking at this story. He says, it is as though they agreed to meet at this tree. It's as if all eternity had planned this moment. It's as if God in his inestimable plan of salvation had determined that in this moment and at this place and at this tree, a divine encounter would take place. That is exactly what happened. But what we also see is that the mood on the street does not match the festivities in the house. It says all the people began to mutter because he has gone to be a guest of a sinner. And this is where there's a shift in the text that takes place. Because verses 1 through 7 was really from the street in Zacchaeus' perspective. But then verses 8 through 10 is really from the house and from Jesus' perspective. And though we do not get to read what exactly was said there, what we do know is that something happened at his table. Last point, the table. So here's Jesus in Zacchaeus' home, and they're having a conversation, and at some point, this happens. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Two things, two things, then we'll be done. The love of Jesus Christ is not the basis for change. Do you see how Zacchaeus changed there? You see how there was a transformation that took place? Some sort of mysterious metamorphosis that went on at the table, you see? But the love of Jesus Christ was not the basis for change. The love of Jesus Christ is the dynamic for change. There's such a difference. In other words, change is the result of the love. It's not what merits the love. Right? He didn't say, Zacchaeus, go do all these things and then maybe I'll think about it. Right? He didn't say that. And when Zacchaeus says, oh, I'm going to give half of everything to the poor and I'm going to pay everybody back when I cheat. Jesus doesn't say, okay, well, now salvation might come to you. Right? He doesn't say that. He said, this is a sign that salvation has come. Salvation first, then the change. Do, do you see that? And if you reverse those things, then you don't understand the gospel. If you say, well, I got to work for it. I got to earn it. I got to be really, really good. I got to try really, really hard. And if I do that, then maybe Jesus will accept. No, that's a lie from hell. Yes. Secondly, it tells us to, to the degree that you understand grace is to the degree that grace will really change you. See, here, here's, the, here's the question. How does change really happen? 
I mean, come on, for those of us who have been saved for a while, right? There's some things that have changed probably, but, but how does real transformation in our hearts actually happen? Well, to the degree that you understand grace is to the degree that grace will really change you. You won't just have a belief. You won't just have a faith that is in name only, that is in confession only. See, that there's a lot of people that say that they're a Christian. If they were to take a survey and they get to the religious section, they'll check I'm a Christian box, right? I mean, that's what they'll do, right? It, it, they're Christian nominally, meaning on paper, superficially, but not actually. See, because when someone is a Christian actually, then action flows from. Right now, there's a few of us reading a book called Lead from Paul Tripp. And in it, he recounts the life of Noah. And there's a part where, uh, so Noah claims to be uh, following God. He claims to have reverent fear of the Lord. And he says, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. And God says, great, let's go to Nineveh. I want you to go preach the gospel so that way they can have grace. And, and Jonah says, nope, they don't deserve that. And so he runs, he gets on a boat and he's out in the boat, right? And a storm comes and this storm is so crazy that they're like, what is happening? And they began to question who Noah, who, 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 um, why am I saying uh, Jonah? Who Jonah is, right? Thank you. And they're like, Jonah, who, who, are, who, who are you? And he says, he says, well, I'm a Hebrew and I'm, uh, and I'm someone that fears the Lord. I'm a Hebrew and I'm someone that fears the Lord. That, that's what he says. Okay? And Paul Tripp makes this notice. He says, quote, Jonah's identity statement is interesting. By culturally identity, identifying, he is a God-fearer. But in terms of his response to God's call, he doesn't act like someone who fears the Lord. In this way, his words confront us with the difference that may exist in a leader or between us uh, in his confessional theology and his functional theology. See, Paul Tripp is making a difference between a theology that we confess versus a theology that we function in. You see what I'm saying? There's a difference between just saying you believe something and believing it so much that it changes what you do. Right? I mean, that's just the truth of it. You know? If Becca all of a sudden yelled down the hallway, hey, we have chocolate cake in the kitchen, you guarantee I'm dropping whatever we got to do and I'm running that kitchen. Why? Because I believe it. I believe when she says it. So that belief summons a response, an action, you know? Jesus says, if you want my salvation, then that means you don't just want to meet me on a Sunday. But I want to come into your life and I want to completely transform it. I want to come in every single nook and cranny of your life and I want it to be affected by grace. And that's exactly what happens here. You see? That's what happens. For, 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 for Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus says, listen, I'm going to give all this back. And he's able to do that because he's rich. Right? He's rich. But, it's a, but he's not just giving back, but he's giving back to the point where it's sacrificial. It's a sacrificial giving. It means it's going to affect his life. Right? Why? Because there was some rule somewhere that told Zacchaeus that he had to do that? No. But because the gospel has sent him on an adventure, Jesus. one that he began to think out the implications of what it is to follow Jesus Christ. 
Dallas Willard says this, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. When we act as if it were true. In other words, Zacchaeus shows us that to be restored to Christ means that we restore others. To love Christ deeply means we love others. Look, he realizes the grace and the love of Jesus Christ and instantly he wants to do something about it. And instantly he begins to think about the people around him and how he wants to love them well and how he wants to restore them. And so there's actions done on that behalf, you see. When Jesus says in Revelations 3.20, I stand at the door and knock, open up, I will come in and I will eat with you. Can I ask you, do you know that place? Do you know the place where Jesus stood at the door and knocked, opened up and he's eating with you? Do you know that place? Do you know that place intimately? You see? He's saying, I want to transform the daily rhythms of your life. I want to work out the implications of the gospel into every nook and every cranny. I want to change everything, you see. I want to change how you spend your money. I want to change uh, how you think about things. I want to change your thought life, your sex life, your family life, your vocation, the jobs you take, what you say yes to, what you say no to. I want to affect everything, how you treat people, how you look at people. By the way, Revelation 3.20, where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opens to me, I will come in and eat with him. He wasn't talking to non-Christians there. He was talking to the church. You see? What does that mean? It means if you want the salvation of Jesus Christ flowing through your life, then it can't just be on a Sunday. You have to bring to the very center of your life. You have to give them access to every part of who you are. And I can guarantee you that there is a part of us that we haven't taken Jesus to and we need to today. We need to. See, transformation happened at the table. I wonder what transformation Christ is inviting you to see and take place happen at his table today. And then I wonder what transformation is Christ wanting to have happen at your tables with others. See, he has invited you so that you can invite others, so that he can invite them to meet him and eat with them. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We are about to observe the Lord's table. And what that really means is um, that you don't have to be a member here at Inspire, right? But you do have to have confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And, and that's how you come to the table. And so if that's you today, then, then you are welcome to come. If that's not you, then there's really two options, right? We'd love to invite you to observe. But actually, we'd love to invite you to be a part because there's always room at the table. Well, what does that mean, Roger, to be saved, to have Jesus come live in your heart? And you know, It means that you believe the story, right? 
the, the, the story that, that, that we are in desperate, we have a longing. We know we can't measure up. We can't even measure up to our own standards. We know that. That we need saving. And that Jesus Christ came, he died on the cross. He rose again. And what the story says is this, is that you don't have to earn any of it. That when you come to him and, and you confess this truth, you confess the story, you repent, that then he does something great because he doesn't just forgive you, <laughs> but he redeems you. It, it, in other words, he doesn't just say, okay, you're forgiven. But then what he says is he takes his righteousness, his purity, his perfection, and places it on you. Well, wait a minute. What do I have to do to earn that, to prove that? I don't know if I'm right. I mean, I'm not worthy of that. No, none of us are. But he does it because he loves us, you see. And if you want that, you can. Right now, right here, in your heart, you can say, I believe the story. I believe the story. Heavenly Father, I give you praise and I give you glory for all that you do. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we go about the rest of our day and, and the rest of our week, let us pause and let us intentionally, intentionally meet you at your table. And then let us intentionally think and make efforts to invite others to meet you as well. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Our prayer and hope is that you would be transformed by God's word and live for him. Before you go, would you consider giving a gift today? By faith, we are walking into the new year and continuing to believe in what God is doing in the city through our missional communities and mercy ministries. Visit us at inspiredchurches.com to give a gift and let's see together the great things God will continue to do in the new year.